Hey everyone, thank you for joining us today. So today we have a, a conversation series, which is basically a discussion between uh, one of the co-founders and members in a bit to get their stories out uh, to the rest of the community. So today we have Orion, or Vish, who is a, a husband, a father, and a world traveler who loves the Himalayas. He's also a student of Vedic philosophy and patron of the Chinmaya mission. Uh, so, Vish, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, why don't we start by just Why don't we start by just telling us a little bit about your journey? Thanks a lot for having me on the platform. Firstly, and good evening to all of you. Whichever time zone all of you are in, so um, more than happy to be here on the platform and uh, be talking to all of you. Uh, if I just go back to your question, uh, can you just repeat that once again? Yeah, sure. Um, why don't you? Why don't we start by just, uh, you know telling telling everyone a bit about your journey? Yeah. So I would say um, you know everybody has a very different journey in general in life, but then I think spiritually uh, there are you know just two ways. I think one is that um, you know there are certain people have it coming through uh, let's say generations. Uh, you know maybe somebody in the family or maybe in the hereditary lines like that. Some of them are instantaneous, but there are miracles for human beings we've seen who have it uh, you know, come very instantaneously whenever they connect. For me, I think it has been the earlier, in the sense that uh, um, I've uh, been, you know, fortunately, a part of a, a family which has spiritual, deep spiritual roots, I would say, for the last uh, at least foreseeable three to four generations that I know of. And I think that uh, got me started onto my. Uh, not just, I would say, spiritual journey, but also possibly a journey of realization, understanding, you know, what we're doing around us, a slight bit of building sensitivity about, uh, you know, uh, why are we here and what do we do that we're doing at the moment and all of that stuff started right from the early age for myself. So I think uh, I've probably been uh, at it possibly since, you know, very early childhood, uh, thanks to, I'd say, people around me or uh, with a uh, family members around me and I think uh, you know sometimes it does start slightly religiously but I think over a period it becomes more spiritual because you know uh, you start getting into stuff for the ritualistic uh, sense um, because everybody else does it you do it but I think over a period of time there is a lot more awareness that gets built into you and you start understanding what's happening around you and why do you do some of these things uh, Besides also understanding, you know, what are the greater powers that control you in the universe? So it's not just about, you know, where you live or the place of the city or country, but I think trying to think about the infinite, right? So that's that's something that um, probably took a few years. I would say probably about eight or ten years for me since my birth. But I think uh, right from possibly the age of 10 to about the age of 20, 24, 23, 24, maybe even 27 actually. So about 16, 17 years of good uh, period where I started building that awareness and um, started involving myself into activities which actually helped me do that. So that's that's, that's typically been my you know, sort of uh, journey starting from you know, a spiritual family and then building my spirituality background over a period. Nice. So thank you for sharing that. So when you say, you know, you kind of got into this uh, through your family, is that is that how you kind of got into Vedic philosophy and, and got uh, uh, became aware of the Chinmaya mission? Um, is that kind of the direction so, which went? Or? 
No, very, very interesting question. So I think, you know, um, there are two parts to it. I think the first part is uh, from the family perspective, uh, as I told you, it, it was more uh, start, starting off from the rituals and the religiousness. I think uh, spiritually, and I think I was probably speaking to somebody on the platform maybe about a month, month, a month or two back. And we came upon this interesting point where I, I was, you know, giving my viewpoint that the world has actually turned much more spiritual today. We were far more religious, you know, if you go back in time, 30, 40, 50 years, 70 years. So I think there was a lot more of ritualism. There was a lot more of religious practices around. But, you know, uh, very little in terms of understanding what it was. So I think a lot of the understanding didn't really come from, I would say, the people around me or the parents, uh, uh, you know, or from that background in general. But a lot of uh, questioning and a lot of, uh, you know, sort of subtle answering or subtle answers for those questions. I usually used to get, um, you know, when, when I started being a part of some of these larger groups and larger missions, you know, over a period of time. So actually for me, the, the whole mission experience was very detached. It came much later in life. Uh, the early part of life was all set in, I would say, religious practices and rituals. Um, it was more from the rituals and the religious practices that, you know, you got... Um, tuned to receiving spirituality much better, which I think set me up for you know the next journey, which I think probably began slightly late for me. I would say the Chinna journey began for me at the age of let's say 24, 23 or 24, and it and it, it you know it, it it went on at least the youth wing part. It went on between 24 and 30 or 28 rather. So about five good years or six good years that I spent with the mission, but also accomplished a lot of stuff in that duration uh, for the mission and also for you know a lot of people around. So I think, you know, the initial years that you put in, you may call it sadhana in different words, you know, in Sanskrit, you may call it sadhana. Uh, you know, for many, uh, you know, in their childhood, it's usually uh, unrealized. You don't really realize you're doing these things. Yeah, but you just keep doing it because somebody else is doing it around you. And I think it just becomes sort of layman practice. Um, but I think you understand meanings um, as well as you start understanding how it really prepared you for the journey forward when you really get into the big deal, you know, and the, the deal, the real deal is actually when you're a part of some of these, uh, you know, big missions. They're not just really big, but I think I would say very um, low profile and very high uh, quality missions, I would say. So I would rate Shinmai definitely as, you know, probably one of the best life experiences I've ever had. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like to touch upon the Chinmaya mission more, but before I do that, you mentioned something very interesting, which is that, you kind of grew up religious and and then the spiritual journey, which opened you up to these to the spiritual journey more and that kind of started later for you. And I think this is something that a lot of people wrestle with, right? Because um, start off and born with religion and there's this clear distinction between religion and spirituality. So what is that? Like, you know, how would you, how would you articulate that? Like, what is the difference between the two for you? Yeah, I would believe that, you know, if you, if you just look at the... Uh, you know, the educated world parlance, if you look at uh, doing any course in today's world and age, I mean, all of these courses are online and edtech is big and booming and all of that stuff. So whenever you do any, uh, let's say you want to do artificial intelligence or, you know, you want to do something on data science or anything of that sort, I think the first thing people do is end up doing some primer, right? So every study that you take up in life, you have some primer. Um, there are some set of basic tenets, basic etiquettes, uh, maybe, you know, discipline or even rigors or drills that sets you up for the journey forward. So I think I simply term religion as or religious practices generally as, uh, you know, a set of basic primer. It's a basic primer. It's a basic set of 
tenants or etiquettes that basically inculcate that discipline into you so that it you know it prepares you for the journey ahead it, it just prepares you i think that's what it does honestly mm-hmm. for me religion uh, you know is just a preparatory phase i won't say it's the real deal honestly because that's what a lot of world a lot of the world is actually jostling around because of you know the confusion between uh, you know are you a christian and you know am i a muslim or so on and so forth so that that becomes uh, you know slightly a crazy area to occupy and to operate within so what i usually feel is whatever be the faith you know you are in i think you know your faith actually builds certain discipline into you so whether it's a you know for example if it's a christian it, there is a, you know, there is a, a regular discipline of going to church there is a regular discipline of going for a mass for example you know whether it's christmas or whether it's you know easter there is a you know sort of of a disciplined routine visit to the church or praying to god there are many ways in which you do it so all of these things to me builds a lot of discipline and and the reason i speak about this is because yeah you know whether it's the mission or whether it's elsewhere i can tell you honestly i have worked with some of the you know uh, the best i would say vedic missions in the world and i believe i have worked with people from all religions now it will be shocking for a lot of people to know that I, you know i had friends some of my dearest friends in the mission who were also muslims by the way learning vedic philosophy so i think end of the day you know if you if the religion is something which is kept aside but if you have actually got that discipline practicing whatever religion you were born in in general because everybody just gets easily classified into that bucket very easily once you're born so you can't avoid that you know when you're born on the world in this world so you know you better use that for a good purpose you know better use that to build your discipline build your sort of basic etiquettes get through that basic primer course in life maybe the first 5 10 years 15 years of your life and that sets you up for the game you know whether you are a christian or a hindu or a muslim it doesn't really matter uh, if you if you really set yourself up through that primer get yourself to that rigor and discipline then you know whether you are interested in esoteric concepts vedic concepts uh, or if you are interested even let's say for example in uh, metaphysical sciences if you talk about astrophysics you know astronomy i do a lot of that stuff uh, you know i like to dabble a lot of that it a lot of that as well it really prepares you for understanding what's there beyond that you know so i think it's very very important uh, you know to have these two links one before the other i would not say that religion actually follows spirituality but i think spirituality is all pervading you know it doesn't really uh, need you to be uh, you know with one particular religion or the other to be able to become spiritual right at the end of the day that's that's what the whole thing is all about that doesn't really mean that you know uh, you know you have to basically mandate people to leave the religions or you know uh, impose religionism or anything of that sort i just feel it's you know if there is a choice and if there is a voluntary option available to you you know take up take up the religion that you're born in and you know do good justice to it be disciplined in whatever you do but you know also build that uh, window in your mind which allows you to explore because not all that you see in your religion or not all that you see uh, taught you know as basic concepts uh, is the end of the world today you know there are many more things that you need to learn not just about the world but also about you know worlds beyond our world you know whether you look at the planetary system or even beyond so i think you just need to keep that window open in your mind and then just focus on the religion for the perspective of discipline and nothing more so you know it's very easy for you to get dragged into let's say what bible says or what quran says and you know start fighting with arms and hands for some of the things that you believe in but i think if you just uh, you know take those things as basic concepts and use them for building yourself building your spiritual core and the aura around you which is very important because that's what is going to you know uh, later in the life define the kind of people that you're going to be interacting with and the kind of crowd that you're going to be sitting 
So I think uh, you know to build that aura, to build that spiritual core inside you, I would generally believe that religion is the first step. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, it's super important to keep an open mind, as you mentioned, because that's what enables you to go um, the next level and start your own journey, really, um, beyond religion. But um, obviously, the Chinmaya mission has been really important in, in your journey. So, for, you know, as you, as you know, we have people from all over the world. Um, someone who's never heard of the Chinmaya mission, you know, can you just um, give them a little primers into the organization? Yeah, so, um, you know, just to give a quick background about, you know, my role presently, as well as my previous roles out there, I basically became a part of the mission uh, by chance. It was not by, you know, by design. It was generally by default because I used to attend, you know, it was, you know, very simple reason. I used to work, uh, you know, at a campus which was very close by to the mission in Bombay. And, uh, you know, there used to be this excellent Mahashivratri celebrations that used to happen there every year. It still happens now, uh, as it used to happen, you know, a decade back. And I used to, like, participate in uh, the celebrations out there, used to basically, uh, you know, partake in the temple activity, manning the crowds, and do a whole lot of volunteering activity, right, from morning to night. That that was basically my first brush and my first twist to the mission. And then a couple of other friends actually introduced me to some of the youth camps later on, wherein, you know, went to a lot many places in India. In fact, I saw a lot more of India than... I ever have in my life, uh, thanks to the mission. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have done that personally, but the mission took me to uh, a lot of places, a lot of states, northeastern states, much before I think they were famous, made famous by you know this particular government right now. But I used to uh, travel to a lot of uh, nook and corners thanks to the mission. So uh, you know, as as I said, my journey started by default, not by design. And uh, you know, so I didn't really come in with the perspective of somebody introducing me very formally about the mission and stuff like that. But I somehow got into it and I think I you know, played a role. So to start with, I was a youth volunteer uh, in the Chinmaya Yuva Kendra. It's, um, I would believe it's the largest Vedic youth organization in India. Uh, you know, there are a couple of others, but you know, they rank far behind in terms of numbers, in terms of the number of volunteers that you know, they attract from the youth uh, programs and uh, the youth Kendra perspective. So this generally is open for uh, kids between the age of, let's say, um, I would say about uh, late teens to the age of 28. That's the ripe age for you know the, the youth wing uh, mission people, the Yuva Kendra people. And then post-28, we are actually into a group called as uh, Setukari, which has got formed about you know six, five, six years back, which is actually uh, an alumni group of all the being youth volunteers, you know, their youth. But also a couple of other uh, fast strategies basically you get through all year and come to you know the the youth to progress into Setukri and the around uh, the Bhagavad Gita and also uh, the concepts of Bhagavad Gita. I think this is 
what uh, Swami Chinmayananda, the original founder and uh, guru of the mission, started doing uh, in late 1940s, I would say 49-1950, was probably the first uh, you know uh, satsang that he had in Pune. That's very integrated. Although it was founded and headquartered in Mumbai, in Tawai, the first satsang was there in Pune. Uh, you guys are able to hear me well? I yeah, just so I think, no issue you, cut out, you, you cut out a bit uh, for about uh, 30 seconds there. Um, but we were able to hear, I think, the last like 10 to 15 seconds of what you were saying. Okay, just, just a moment. Let yeah. me try a different setting. Just hold on. Yeah. Able to hear me now? Yeah. Nice and okay. clear. I hope this will be, I believe this will be much better. Yeah. Yeah. No, you say you're, yes. you're clear. Yeah. So sorry. Just like, you know, where, where did you lose me? So I'll continue from there. Um, you were starting with the, the I, I, you caught back on when, around when you were talking about the, the satsang that was held in Pune. Um, but, but before yes. that, I didn't kind of, we, I don't yes. think you was caught what you were saying before, before that. Okay. So do you remember when you do exactly lose me? Um, not exactly. I just remember okay, asking so I'll, shortly sure, so I'll just give you started cracking up. Sure. So I'll give you a quick snap. So Chinma Mission is basically a social spiritual uh, organization centered around the Vedic values, uh, mainly focused around spreading the values of, you know, the teachings through Bhagavad Gita in general. I won't say that it preaches Gita because you have, you know, ISKCON for that, uh, which does a terrific job of, uh, you know, explaining Gita to the over detail basic but i think uh, you know the uh, the, the uh, credit of uh, making bhagavad gita part of every home uh, you know in india or at least that was the aim uh, you know back in the 19 late 1940s and early 50s you know independent india went to swami chinmayananda who was the original founder and uh, you know the original founder and the original guru of the mission so he founded the mission in the, i think 1949 if i'm not wrong with the first satsang that happened in pune um, the mission was headquartered in mumbai the mission is now present in, I would say, believe, uh, more than 50 countries globally, or maybe even more. I would have probably lost count. And, uh, you know, if you look at the number of volunteers, it might probably run into hundreds of thousands of volunteers um, who are devotees of the mission or uh, generations that are pledged to the mission. It's a very low-profile mission. That's one of the possible reasons why you won't really hear too much about, you know, the mission in, uh, you know, in either print, advertising, media or uh, elsewhere. The mission doesn't really advertise itself or, you know, it doesn't really seek people. So that's that's one way in which, you know, it caught my attention because uh, it, it genuinely believes that a lot of uh, people are either self-taught who come to come to the mission or, uh, you know, the mission will find its own people itself. In the sense, you know, if you are for the mission, you will find the mission uh, one way or the other. So wherever you are in the world, you will end up finding or having, you know, this uh, crazy experience of... Uh, getting into the mission somehow, just like I did, by default and not by design. So I think that that's how, that's the principle on which the mission operates. It does operate, I think, uh, three or four different wings. It operates a, a, you know, sort of a children's wing, basically for kids from the age of three or five years to about 12 years, which is called as Balaviyar. And then you have, uh, you know, the Yuva Kendra, which operates from the mid-teens to the age of 28. And then it takes you to the uh, Setukri uh, wing, which basically is a part of 
what I am at the moment, which is an alumni, a uh, youth alumni, where you start uh, helping out the current youth wing, uh, you know, in their objectives, uh, simply put. And I think, you know, typically the age of 28 to 45 is also the time when uh, most people are there, are at their peak of their professional lives. So, you know, the mission has also made it light on a lot of that, a lot of that cater of people that you don't really have to involve yourself too much into the mission work, but uh, you can be lightly involved either through, you know, media or uh, through assistance that you can do on weekends or so on and so forth in terms of helping out the present youth wing. So that remains the core focus activity between the age of 28 to 45. Post 45, you know, when people have really settled into their professional careers is when the senior wing operates, you know, for the mission. So that's, that's typically like the four different wings of the mission. But, uh, you know, just to give a quick background, and you guys can always Google and find out more about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the original founder and, you know, what he did and all of that stuff. But the, the story of the uh, original guru, Gurudev uh, Swami Chinmananda, actually inspired me a lot, originally, uh, because of which I stuck to the mission. So I think you get enamored and you get caught into the mission by default, even if by default you get caught into it and, you know, you take up a few activities. But I think what makes it really sticky, what makes you stick to anything that you pick up like this, uh, is, you know, there has to be an ideal. There has to be an inspiration that you can follow. And I think for me, simply, it was basically this crazy story of, uh, you know, an editor uh, in chief of one of the most established newspapers of that time, pre-independent India, I would say, uh, called as National Herald. So many people might have heard of the name of this newspaper, it's called as National Herald. Uh, this chap was actually the editor of the paper. And uh, he actually embarked on a mission to unmask sadhus. So his prime uh, focus for one of the editorial stories that he was pursuing at the time, and he was very well educated, by the, by the way. Uh, so, you know, back in the 1930s and uh, 1920s, he was a fairly well educated man. He pursued his graduation uh, from one of the top colleges. And, you know, he got into this, you know, those days journalism used to be, uh, you know, very big deal. If somebody got into journalism, you have to be super educated and, you know, smart enough to do that. So I think he, he did all of that stuff and he got into this crazy uh, scenario where he um, took upon the challenge of uh, wanting to go to Rishikesh and the Himalayas and unmask uh, the life of sadhus. So that's how the whole journey started for him. And I think uh, what happened very miraculously is he ended up meeting his guru when he went there. And instead of exposing the life of, uh, basically instead of living with the guru and trying to expose him over a period, he became a disciple of the guru itself. It's one of the most classical stories of Guru Sishya that I've ever heard in my life. Uh, so that really was super inspirational for, for me, you know, when I was new to the wing, I was new to the mission. And uh, it was super inspirational. I picked up a lot of his books and read through all of his letters, all of his experiences that he came across at that point of time. Possibly around the same time, right? If you talk about that time period of, let's say, 50, 60 years, mm-hmm. you had great human beings developing, you know, our, uh, our earth at that point of time. So let's say the time between... Uh, 1880s, 1870s, 1880s to about, let's say, 1940s, that period of 60 years was a supreme period for India. I would believe a lot of of, uh, evolved souls like Ramakrishna Paramahamsa to start with, Swamiji. And then, you know, you had Swami Vivekananda, his disciple coming coming in. Uh, And then you had somebody like Swami Chinmayananda in the 1930s uh, starting to create that renaissance as well in the late 1940s. So, you know, I think it was a golden period for India. It had a lot of people also, let's say, for example, go there, Ravindranath Tagore, even though he's not, uh, you know, taken in, in the same sense or same way as some of these spiritual gurus, but he still holds a very special, uh, I'd say, 
mention in everybody's uh, heart and mind. So I think that was probably the golden era for India. And I think, you know, when I looked at those stories, it made it more inspirational that, you know, here's a man who was super well-educated, who is an atheist, by the way. He was an atheist to begin with. He didn't believe in God. He had zero belief in God. But, uh, you know, one uh, particular story that he thought he would probably crack, which was about going and exposing the sadhus in the Himalayas, fell flat. And he ended up being the most enlightened soul after he came back. So not only did he come back, but he took uh, his tapasya, you know, to the end, uh, you know, staying with his guru in Tapuvan and in, you know, Uttarkashi, in Rishikesh and finished his whole course. He took, uh, he embraced, uh, you know, the life of an ascetic. Uh, he, he donned the orange robes and then he came back to Bombay. And then he started preaching, you know, across the country. And when the second is the country, I think the mission then became a sort of a global phenomenon, whether it's the US, Switzerland, Australia, Hong Kong or any other country that we can speak of. I think the mission was So I think that was inspirational. The other thing that was really inspirational for me, um, or probably I would say building my core in terms of, uh, you know, my capabilities in life and a lot of the abilities that I use in my profession or even in my family and professional and personal life in general. Uh, I attribute a lot of that to some of the camps that I did with the mission. So, you know, these, these are typically camps that used to be, uh, you know, week long or maybe a couple of weeks long. It will take you through some of the most treacherous journeys. You'll probably go through some of the most difficult passes in, let's say, the Indo-China border or uh, maybe you might go whitewater rafting in Ganges or Tista or somewhere when you don't know swimming, basically. So I was, I know I still am a person who, don't, who doesn't know swimming, but I managed to pull out whitewater rafting in two of the most treacherous rivers. And that's all due to the mission. So it, it really builds these, uh, you know, the, the, these difficult uh, traits, attributes, all of that stuff into you, makes you more sturdy and strong for, I would say, what you need to live out here as a human life. Um, and I think it's been really helpful. I mean, like 15 years, so all of this is what I did, let's say, you know, about 12 to 15 years back. And if I can remember all of that, you know, sort of telegraphically at this stage, and I can recall all of those moments, it simply means that, you know, all of these moments actually left a huge imprint on my life. Um, you know, and it has built whatever I am today. So, a lot of what I am today, I owe back to the mission. And also, besides that, I think the, the other activity that I did was uh, embarked on a lot of, uh, you know, we embarked on a sort of a cultural renaissance back uh, in about 2008 or nine. I should say about 12 years back, so 13 years back. And we, you know, a specific part of the group, Youth Wing, we undertook a research on uh, the Saraswati River, the Ito, uh, the Indus Valley Civilization and the Saraswati River in general. And we went out to... Uh, you know, uh, give out the message of the lost culture to a lot of schools around the country. So we did a lot of shows through the mission in, uh, you know, a lot of sabhas, a lot of theatres. And I took up drama very actively. So I took up screenplay writing. I took up uh, research, uh, screenplay research, as well as, uh, you know, drama acting and a lot of other elements which involve, uh, you know, in terms of theatre during my uh, trust with that experience. And then, of course, you know, we did all of that work and we have assigned all of the work and copyright and patent to the mission back. But this is something which was, you know, path-breaking for us because we did probably about 70 shows globally for that particular uh, for that particular skit. And the skit was all about uh, discovering, you know, your lost culture. Now, whatever we see in India that's happening for the past six, seven years in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of rediscoveries, a lot of rivers being dug up uh, and, you know, finding its, you know, old course, so on and so forth. And a lot of people will believe that 
Saraswati River, for example, is being dug up in Haryana and all of that. For us, it's a sort of vindication because we've already undertaken that activity like about 12 years back when uh, nobody even believed some of these things existed. So to take this culture and to spread it to schools was, I think, a very big challenge. And uh, without, I would say, without any prejudice, uh, you know, we we basically uh, could, uh, you know, portray a lot of this to a lot of the school kids between the age of, let's say, 10 to 15 years generally. So let's say between the 5th grade and the 10th grade. So thank you for sharing your your kind of personal journey with this and, and background on the organization itself and the story behind it, as well as what inspired you. Um, it was really interesting to hear. Um, my next question for you is, I mean, you mentioned, you know, how you owe a lot of who you are today to the mission in terms of um, your professional life and even with your family. So, you know, I think it would be really interesting if you could share some of those things that that stuck with you and, and how you inculcate them into your daily life, you know? So, you know, I'll tell you some of the, some of the very basic things. You know, there are certain memories in life that uh, became, uh, you know, etched into me forever. So, for example, it's not just, you know, involvement with the mission or doing work. So, I'm very close to Swami Swatmananda, who's basically the current in charge of the youth wing uh, out there, um, as well as one of the very senior swamis, very senior gurus in the mission. Uh, and I've been, you know, his disciple or I would say colleague, disciple, friend, but, you know, whatever we call it, um, since uh, the days when he was a brahmachari in the mission. Now, you know, it's it's not just about, and, you know, it was all, you know, professional life, right? So if I talk about, let's say, my, uh, you know, slightly a little bit of my family background, so you can understand, and possibly a lot of your listeners can relate to this uh, more deeply. You know, I started working at the age of 21, 22 actually. So I finished my graduation at the end of 21. I started working immediately. Uh, you know, I was picked from campus and I started working uh, with one of the large German multinationals uh, in Mumbai itself. I started working with their, um, you know, with their factories uh, at the age of 22. So I was into work quite early in my life. And I also lost my father at the age of 24, 25 rather. So... Let's say about two, two and a half, three years into work, I lost my lost my father, and I was a part of uh, you know the mission slightly before that. So uh, you know maybe about two, two and a half years of uh, acclimatization and possibly accustom uh, you know accustoming myself to the way the mission works and the way uh, you know the network is developed around the mission. I did have a very decent and small network, but I can tell you very miraculously. The day all of that happened, and you know, sorry to speak about a sort of a sad situation in life, but you know, these are situations that possibly remain with you ever, forever for life. And it gives you a lot more teachings. So, you know, I would never forget that the first people to descend down when they heard the news was, you know, were my colleagues in the mission, number one. I think they were very close friends of mine, uh, including some of the senior most uh, gurus, you know, including the the present, uh, you know, Swamiji that I'm talking about, he was one of the first ones to descend down there. In fact, uh, you know, we created an impromptu, there was like an impromptu satsang created uh, when they came out there and we had the recital of a couple of chapters of Bhagavad Gita which are supposed to be recited when there is a death in the house. Um, right, so that's, that's part and parcel of the whole story. And, you know, some of these things will never leave you. So I think you know, one is, you know, bonding. The way people bond with you uh, even when there is no expectation, right? A lot uh, of what we've seen, I think in the last 10 years or 15 years, 
and i've seen that personally i don't know how many of you actually experience it but i've seen that in the last more so in the last let's say decade uh, things have become much more materialistic and i think that's why a lot more people are as i said earlier a lot more people i believe will move to spiritualism the the times to come because i would say the decades that are coming by are going to push us more towards you know this materialism and people are going to be really fed up so they want to have uh, you know a, a, a via media or an escapade method to to get to something else so i think you know the last decade has really been much more materialistic and i think you realize uh, you know when you when you have people or friends for benefits it's a different point you know when you have people coming around because you know you can do something for them that's a very different story altogether but when there is a group of people and this is just a sort of a volunteer network right so they don't have any obligation to be around when i am there or maybe when somebody expires in some of the other volunteers houses right so if it's just one ordinary guy there may be like hundreds of thousands of such ordinary guys in the same city and you know practically it's impossible for people to actually land up at every house but they do uh, i mean most of them do so i think that is the sense of wanting it it taught me a lot about uh, you know how to really put karma at the forefront and uh, you know uh, keep doing it keep doing it in spite of whatever circumstances you are in or uh, you know whatever life takes you through maybe there could be some very difficult situations but i think if you keep doing your karma and if you keep doing it dispassionately you will get to where you want to or you know where you eventually need to reach actually so i think that's one of the biggest lessons that you know, those experiences have taught me you know from the mission of course so you know there are a lot of these uh, uh, i would say day to day lessons that have you know always been taught and i maintain the diary i still have the diary with me of you know what i learned almost each day of each day of the camp possibly or maybe each day of some of the biggest activities or events that happened during my mission life uh, and, and that taught me something or the other you know? so uh, it's important most of these things actually build a lot of attributes into you so let's say some events build tenacity into you some events built the uh, build the a uh, required amount of uh, sort of gumption and intuition into you that you try seeing things before they happen and uh, you know a couple of them who are hearing me will attest to sort of my sense of intuition with a lot of things maybe in it could it could be corporate world or it could be otherwise but the sense of intuition is also strengthened when you also strengthen yourself slightly more spiritually um, and i think you know generally whether it's about day to day activities whether it's about managing family through crisis I mean, there is a lot of teaching. It's not just Bhagavad Gita, but I think even it's uh, with the with the karma that you do daily, which you don't really attribute too much to. Uh, there are simple things in life or simple activities in life that teach you a lot. So I think for me, those have been really life-changing experiences, which I always keep a note of, honestly. Uh, I think that's so important. And and again, sorry to hear about the the situation with your father. I'm so sure that was really difficult, but it's. so nice to hear that you had this supportive group around you by virtue of being a part of the mission i'm sure people who weren't part of the mission as well but i think you touched upon something really important which is you know kind of keeping track of what you need to do and and your own karma and doing that despite um whatever curveballs life may throw us because they're always going to throw them right so uh it's very important to kind of keep track of that um so yeah. one quick so one quick point to be mentioned out there you know and this is coming in from a lot of enlightened learning over a period of time so it's not it, it is probably not a tenet that i would have recommended or stated possibly 15 years back in my you know early youth but i think uh, you know when i'm closer to 40 then i'm closer to 20 or 30 i think uh, you know I, i believe i have sufficient learning to say that uh, you know 
when when you lose somebody in the family it's it's not something yeah so momentarily it's sad no doubt i mean it's it's all because you know there is a lot of emotional attachment that is associated with the people that you live with or you're surrounded by but i think as uh, people um, you know moving towards um, unraveling our spiritual core uh, we need to take this in the right stride and i did this you know back then as well when my father expired to be very honest i think a lot of the people from the mission and also otherwise were really surprised because i i didn't share it to you you know somehow that resilience was built into me um you know and i was very close to my dad i have seen his suffering uh, you know right through uh, you know my uh, college life or you know beyond into my early work life because there was a point in time when i probably thought i would not finish even uh, you know basic graduation uh, we were through some difficulties because of his health at that point of time and he possibly went into coma but uh, you know we did come through that and even then i didn't really lose hope and i think uh, you know when that event happened um you know and in the vedic tradition you have this you know tradition to follow this uh, 10 day ritual 12 day 13 day all of that stuff i basically kept my code so i don't know how it came to me i don't know why uh, why things didn't happen there are a lot of people who question me as to why i'm not crying so as if you know it's supposed to be an action that you need to perform out of compulsion but uh, you know i was very i was really on to the job you asked what to do next whom should i call what should i do uh you know when the mission members came in for example i was like okay let's do this you know we need to understand what to do here with a lot of people around because i think you know a lot of people emotionally who are attached who visit at that point of time are not really in their senses to be very honest um so my general tenet that i follow and i i i hope i'll follow this even for everybody else and you know in my family life going forward is that yes you know you need to have control on your emotions you know if you are really going to unravel your spiritual core you know while you're doing sadhana while you're doing meditation and uh, there is a certain tendency for people to you know uh, roll down tears because of a sense of realization or because of that connection with uh, the higher realm that's a diff- that's a different thing altogether but i'm not talking about that if i'm talking about just the sad situations like you know for example losing someone i think we just need to build a sort of a mental uh, core that you know this is a part of karma we are here to live that so whether it's our father or mother you know our loved ones we are just living our karma out here so you know it, it gets very easy for me to preach these things i know it's very difficult to live these things when somebody's out there in the real time scenario facing you know a, a loss of a loved one but um, you know i have done that uh, miraculously i would say it's not something that i planned to do or you know it was something that i thought i thought you know i should do methodically but it just came to me very naturally maybe because of uh, the projects i was actually deep into a couple of projects at that time uh, with with the mission so i was like really 24/7 my mind was taking for example i can you know, for the sake of the listeners i can mention i was actually uh, undergoing a discourse or a discussion with uh, a specific part of the mission when we were doing plays on kathopanishad okay so kathopanishad is basically uh, you know that upanishad in the in the vedic parlance which deals with death which deals with the meaning of death and which deals with everything that has to do with death as and what death does to you so it was very ironical that i was dealing with that discourse and i was going through that project and in the middle of that project my father expired so so you know you can't have more coincidences than that uh, and maybe that helped me slightly because i was doing that project i was middle of understanding katukatopanishad you know uh, quite 
um deep through the plays and through the sort of script but i think this is very important and, and the reason i'm mentioning it is you know so that it helps a lot of other listeners as well uh, that you know if we are really wanting to go towards let's say 30 40 50% unraveling our spiritual core in this birth or in this life i think we just need to build that tenacity around us and uh, we need to firstly um, have this thought in our mind that this is happening to us because this is our karma and you know no karma is bad or good the karma is you know it's just a neutral thing honestly speaking so you know we are born because of bad karma no doubt but i think you know whatever karma happens to us whether it's you know an action that gives us pleasure or an action that gives us success if if we start showing indifference to it i think we become much better human beings for others you know not just for us but i think also for our own aura which helps a lot of other people around us to be honest yeah definitely um i think uh, it's so interesting to see you know when that's when you see kind of as you mentioned like coincidences um it's so strange that you were death of your father coincided with that but i think at at one point we kind of realized or at least i have that there's really no such thing as a coincidence so um everything happens the way it's supposed to um but yeah thank you for sharing that and i think now we'll kind of segue into the second section of our talk which is um we give listeners a chance to ask a question so for those of you that are new there's the post a question channel um right above the audio room where you can kind of type out a question and i'll i'll ask uh, i'll ask it of vish so i think we already have some vish uh, so the first one yeah, is yeah so how do you handle difficult situations in your daily life so so it's a very pertinent question it's a very good question um i think there is no straight answer to it but to be quite honest i think it 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 is about a lot of it is a lot about what you are uh, and what you've built up yourself to be uh from your birth till the time that you ask this question to be honest so mm-hmm. uh you know i think it's it's a it's a method which develops over a number of years it's nothing that comes overnight i mean you can always experiment a few things and uh drive really works when you are really going through difficult tough times but i think you know even those experiments you need to conduct them regularly periodically and methodically over a period of time to realize if it really works for you or not uh for me honestly difficult situations and i can tell you very honestly i'm you know uh, um i am going through a bad patch in life uh not many people will realize that if they speak to me but i think the way you look at it is that you know there is there is a life to be lived i think there is a day to be uh, woken up to there is work to be done there is a life to be fought and i think there are enough people for whom you need to live i think the, those are those are a few things that really keeps um, i would say everybody ticking out here but i think more than that when you trans transcend all of these uh, sort of worldly importances you know whether it's about physical things or you or let's say physical uh, or metaphysical what do you say accomplishments in general whether it's for set work or life or anything else whether it's accolade or whatever it, the moment you start becoming indifferent to all of that uh, you've already started winning of the battles in terms of winning against difficult situations in life so if you can maintain your you know temper if you can maintain let's say cool and calm attitude in terms of facing the situation in life so yeah see you might be momentarily hot you might probably momentarily throw off it uh, all of that is all momentarily fine but if you are able to recoup back in quick time let's say 5 minutes or 10 minutes you know you give yourself that time and if you are able to put yourself into a specific routine a specific sadhana that sets you on that path 
Even seeing uh, how you can't handle difficult situations, honestly. And you know, I know I'm not really undergoing probably the worst difficult situations in life. I'm pretty sure there are uh, you know people who are undergoing much more worse situations than me, and much more privileged. I would say uh, that's also one of the ways in which you pat yourself on the back because wherever you are, uh, you know, in the food food chain or the pyramid, you can always pat yourself uh, for being privileged. So if all of us are today on you know this discourse and on the Discord network. Uh, and uh, you know with ours as a community i think we all are privileged to have you know a smartphone we are privileged to have you know a community that probably valued us and you know is admitting us so we are already privileged uh, i don't think we need more privilege than this mm. and i think we should just count our blessings thank god for you know where we are at this stage maybe you know if you're not believing in god maybe thank uh, the supreme power which is actually you know there is something that i believe that you know there is a power that is controlling the way the planets uh, go around the sun or else you know the planets would have collided into the sun long back we wouldn't be here to speak about the story so you know believe in that supreme being there is something that's actually holding the whole universe and the system as it is and uh, right from our birth till date we've survived so i think that is something that is going to keep us through and possibly take us through all the challenges in life is what i believe and that's how i approach approach uh, difficult situations nothing more specific than that honestly no yeah thank you for that answer um up next we have lino who i believe is white and she is asking are people allowed to follow the vedic path fully as a lifestyle if they are not born in india or would that be cultural appropriation so lino thanks a lot for your question i uh, i guess i give special preference to questions that come from a lot of different cultures that uh, are not ours simply because i think there is a lot more appreciation Uh, of uh, you know what this can mean to them so uh, to be very honest um, there is nothing like that i think um, there is a lot of this uh, sense of falsehood or maybe i would say it's not falsehood it's possibly the way it's projected out there through media or whether it's through social media or anything else that people follow i believe um, there is a tendency to overdo um, i would say i would say the religious um so called religious atrocities or religious borderlines um and and uh, tell people not to follow certain things i i certainly don't believe that's the way because i can attest that a lot of people including i would say a lot of sadhus even in our own mission in chinmaya are whites they are people who come from different cultures um and the vedic philosophy and i actually believe in sanatana dharma in general because sanatana dharma is not religion it's actually a Uh, you call it way of life but i would not really want to demean it by calling way of life it's actually a philosophy which is you know all pervading and uh, tested time it's a time tested philosophy sanatana dharma basically does not uh, you know restrict itself to a specific uh, set of people a specific religion or a specific caste so even within the let's say hindu culture if you have four castes you know, sanatana dharma doesn't say that uh, you know a shudra should not practice it or a vaishya should not practice it or a kshatriya should not practice it there is nothing like that uh, and you know when you talk about different cultures whether it's a greek culture or whether it's uh, you know any other european culture or an american culture or anything else any of the western cultures or so on and so forth it doesn't really matter it, all all that matters is your devotion all that matters is your discipline whatever path you pick that's why i said you know when i started my when i started my conversation i did say that uh, you know it doesn't matter what religion you are if you are a christian you have you know a religion to build your discipline 
So I think for me, religion is just a crutch that helps you walk. It's a it's a crutch that helps you build your discipline. It's just a basic tool that helps you get to some place. But you know, to get to what place and how, I think it totally depends upon you. So if you like Vedic philosophy, if you really want to be following that, if you want to follow a lot of those concepts, if you want to understand what the Upanishads are all about, feel free. I mean, there's nobody going to stop. Nobody that's going to stop you to do that. And I'm talking with a lot of sense of responsibility as a mission member. Not just as that, but I think I would say as somebody who's been uh, sort of a practicing uh, sort of, you know, Vedantic fellow over a period of time. And now I am also practicing astrologer. So I do, um, you know, understand uh, I, I'm getting deep into Parashara astrology, Jaimini, all of that stuff. And therefore, this is very, very important. So, you know, whichever culture you are, it doesn't really matter which culture you are. Uh, as long as you have this curiosity, this inquisitiveness for you to, uh, you know, follow a different philosophy, understand what that means, feel free to do so. The only request would be to maintain a discipline. That's all. So whichever you do, I, I don't know whether people recommend that um, for certain philosophies in other uh, you know, spiritual paths or not. Uh, and I would restrict my comment because I don't really know about some of those. But at least for the Vedic philosophy, uh, what is really good is if you can build a discipline core. So if you can really, let's say, if there is, uh, you know, uh, there is a specific study to be initiated in Vedic philosophy, there are a certain set of rules that you need to follow. And if you can follow that, you know, more the merrier, you know, jolly well. You can say wherever you like, you can be in the US, you can be in Europe or elsewhere in the world, but you can still go about understanding the philosophy and practicing it. Nobody's going to stop you. Sanatana Dharma doesn't stop anybody from following it. And you can always walk in and walk out, by the way. So that's something that I should always mention. It's not something which, uh, you know, uh, it's not a one-way policy. Uh, the Dharma allows you to come in and it allows you to go out. There is... There is nothing like mandatory conversion here. So, you know, you feel free. If you ask more questions, that's how this dharma prevails. And the way uh, this particular philosophy has lived its life is because every generation has questioned it. And questioning has made the philosophy much better. And people have started to look for answers back into history. So that's what has made the philosophy stand the test of time over millions of years. You know? So that's, uh, that's something that I would like to you know, suggest. Thank you for that um, answer. I think uh, I think we may have one more question, but in the meantime, I, I have a question as well. Is that what is it? Why did why is it that Vedic philosophy was the one that kind of resonated with you? I would say again, you know, it was not by um, it was not by design. Again, it was because of you know being born in a family that you know was used to Vedic practices. Honestly, so like for example, you know, my family is a fam my family is a family of Yajurvedis. So, you know, when you are born into, uh, you know, Vedic family, you are uh, following one of the four Vedas, uh, typically. So, you know, um, you end up inculcating some of those uh, things right very early into your um, age. And it's not just that I've done Vedic philosophy. I've spent my time studying abroad. So, I've finished my post-graduation in the Western world. And uh, I also had, you know, uh, very good interactions and discourses with people who were experts in Bible and Christianity, for example. And I have experienced some of those things as well. And I've, as I said, I had some friends in the mission who helped me understand the Quran. So it's not that I understand, uh, I don't understand those things. I do understand. But then at the end of it, what made me tick is, um, you know, there is a lot more depth. And I, I don't think I, you know, one lifetime is enough for the Vedic philosophy. I, I don't think I'll probably uncover, let's say, 5% of the whole Vedic philosophy, even if I live 
to the fullest life so i think the expanse is so crazy and you know you have every subject that you probably can think of under the sun so whether you want you know to study about the planets you have something for that you want to study something about gemstones you have something for that i have literally seen no other philosophy on earth that has a you know a book a mahagranth or let's say a upanishad that's dedicated for every such subject in life so whether it's you know understanding uh, you know, microbiology you have a book that does for that when you want to understand planets as i said you have a book for that astrophysics you have a different book for that mathematics you know so the philosophy actually covers almost every little damn thing that you may want to know while living on earth uh, which is quite tough for i would say any other philosophy to catch up the others are busy playing i would say the market share game so it's mm-hmm. more important that they keep playing the market share game uh, you know you don't really want to get into the market share game so there's no there's no game of market share here so you don't want to be the leading religion or the leading philosophy you just want to be a philosophy that people want to follow that's it that's all right um so i think we have another question from asan uh, still don't understand about controlling emotions why do you consider expression of emotions as bad as a bad thing not talking about negative emotions like anger very good question i think it's a very good follow up on my uh, earlier statement and if you go back to my statement what i mentioned is as you build your spiritual core now i started with that particular set of four words it's very important when you are building a spiritual core it depends see i think you know when you talk about spiritual evolution right and there are a few videos i do follow sadguru as well by the way so i should i should not shy away from saying that you know i you, even though i'm a part of chinna mission it doesn't restrict me from following other people who practice with these philosophies and i do respect him in many different ways you know so there is a, a very interesting video of sadguru uh, you know which you will find on youtube as well where he speaks of speaks about uh the chakras in the body right we talk about the 114 chakras and you know if you just see 21 of them you're done for life all that stuff he mentions a very important statement there right uh each individual can decide what level of evolution he wants to live in he or she wants to live in so you know that right is given to you you know when you're given birth as a human being or let's say when you're given birth as a human being in a vedic family or in a spiritual family or so on and so forth you are just being given uh, you know a road map to travel from let's say one city to the other how you do travel eventually whether you travel uh, you know on a bus on a car uh, on what kind of mode of transport whether you actually hold uh, you know a resort on the way whether you actually are a beggar on the street in that journey all of that is decided by your free will right at the end of the day and i think emotions play a huge role in uh, the spiritual development of a human being so you know i have also been on the uh, other side as you rightly said uh, you know emotions uh, you know and it's the nature of uh, let's say planets working in sort of my horoscope maybe uh, that you know there is a lot of temper that flows in at times so it's it, it could get difficult to control but i think what's very important is to take a step back understand what you're doing it for and then have quick realization and then move on right so that's that's exactly what building a spiritual core means it does not really mean that you don't cry and i have not really said that uh, you know people should not do that or people should not uh, you know emote but i think the moment you start showing indifference to emotions that is probably one of the biggest indicators that you moved on in your spiritual life you moved on to a level where uh, you know a lot of things can't really hurt you from there so whether it's difficult situations whether it's sort of 
living with difficult people around you or uh, maybe a bad boss at office or a bad colleague uh, at work or or maybe even let's say uh, something else in life or maybe some setbacks or some failures you start becoming indifferent so i think you know a very simple philosophy which one of my gurus advocated to me is you know with or without it's a very very simple philosophy it's just three words you can always remember that in your life you know you know if you get you know you're living through a winter which is probably one of the harshest winters in life you wake up you go to your bath and you try to get the hot shower going if the hot shower comes on you're good if it doesn't come on and if you're not emoting right when i say emoting in the sense you know not being bad with yourself and you know possibly not angering uh, you know being angry at yourself and uh, you know probably spilling that out into your next activity you know it doesn't really matter to you beyond that so with or without if you're able to manage with or without the hot shower in probably the peak of cold you've managed to get over one of your obstacles towards spirituality or building spiritual core of yourself within yourself so i think it's it's just one of those i would say milestones uh, when you start building a spiritual core it doesn't mean that many people uh, you know take that negatively uh, you know there are people who are unable to do that because of i would say simply being very emotional that that's that's completely okay it's perfect but i think you know you should realize your limitations you should realize your possibilities so if you being just you wants to realize it's a it's a possible possibility of what's the spiritual core that i can really explore like can i really converse with let's say supreme beings like for example you know people or the other realms as you speak of that's one realm which some of the biggest sadhus or gurus have achieved in you know on the earth or you know whether you just want to keep doing your daily activities with little mess and you just need spirituality for that which is you know what people like sadguru preach right you have this basic spirituality to conduct your day to day activities and not feel bogged down right so you just need to figure out where in the scale you lie and then accordingly adjust yourself to it and you don't really maybe adjust need to adjust your emotions but you may just want to understand what scale of that uh, what part of that scale you want to lie and then embrace that totally so that's perfectly fine but for somebody who is really aiming to get to that spiritual sort of zenith i think it's very important to have indifference to emotions so you know it's, you know success should not bother you and show should not a failure so that's that's one way of looking at it from an emotional side Mm, I think uh, Asan saying he's got he got his answer now. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that was the last of our questions. I think we have someone typing now. Um, yep, uh, <laughs> I think everyone is um, just taking in all everything that you just shared. But uh, yeah, I think that that's the end of the questions. And yeah, I I want to thank you, and I'm sure the community on the whole as well wants to thank you for your time and your talk tonight. Uh, it was really insightful to learn about your journey and. Uh, um yeah i just uh, look forward to more of these in the future uh, thank you so much wish